everybody welcome to the views from the john podcast i am your host johnny Erez, and i am that john with the view how are you doing uh haven't checked in with you since last week um we've gotten some pretty positive feedback on the previous podcast where uh i did a show with my buddy mark p hopefully you enjoyed that uh, still got some people writing in uh, even today saying that they're currently listening to it and uh, enjoying it. So I hope you did. Uh, tried to get Mark back on the podcast this week, but as I explained to uh, you guys on the air when I was interviewing him last week, uh, he's a very busy dude. Extremely busy. I know we're all busy, but this kid is literally busy from uh, the time he wakes up to the time he goes to bed, and he's got. Uh, Two young kids, uh, wife going out of town. He was not feeling well a few days ago. Uh, you know, works a few jobs. Also, like I said, a dad. So he really does have a lot more going on uh, than I do. Eh, we're both busy, but you know, his busyness is more important, I think, than my busyness because I don't have any kids to take care of, and he does. And taking care of kids, that's a most important job. It's not the most difficult job in the world, like some mothers out there like to think. That's that's literally been a thing, um, and I I've never brought it up because other comedians have brought it up before in their stand up or their podcast. But there are literally women out there who are stay at home moms that have one kid to take care of, and they call it the toughest job in the world. And it's just like no, it's not. Staying home with a toddler, what the toughest part of your day is bending over three times to put a DVD in the DVD player. You know, don't tell me that being a mom or a stay-at-home mom of one or two kids is the most difficult job in the world. How about the freaking guys on the oil rigs or some shit? Or how about like a, like, a, like a combat medic that's in the middle of combat getting shot at trying to save some dude's leg that just got blown off? I think that might be a slightly tougher job. I'm not saying that uh, being a mom is an extremely important job, but to say it's the toughest job on the planet, I'm not going to stretch that far. But there was somebody else I just saw recently um, on TV saying that she had the toughest job in the world. Literally. Uh, not most important job, which like I said, being a mother is very important. Being a good mom is extremely important. Uh, being a good parent is extremely important if you want your kid to turn out uh, semi-adjusted. But uh, there was uh, – what there's one of the shows I watch is uh, Master Chef. And uh, I went back and started to watch, I don't know, season one or two of MasterChef on Netflix or Hulu or whatever it was. And, uh, you know, one of the people that was trying out for the show, she was like, uh, she was a single mother, but evidently she was wealthy enough to where she didn't have to work. All she did was just stay home with her toddler every day. And the entire interview, she just keeps going over and over how tough her day-to-day life is raising her two-year-old and I'm just like dude that's not a hard job how many mothers out there or even fathers who are listening to this conversation would you really call your job difficult if all you had to do if you had enough you know let's say you were making like 200 grand a year and literally didn't have to work 
you just somehow owned a business and you were making 200 grand a year, a million a year, and you could just stay home with the kids. Would you really complain how difficult your day-to-day life is caring for your kids? What parent wouldn't want to stay home seven days a week with their kids? I would. And if you don't, maybe you don't like your kids. I don't know. But don't sit there and cry and say you have the toughest job in the world staying home with your fucking kids. It should be fun staying home with the kids. If I had kids, I'd be right on the fucking floor playing with them, whether it was video games, blocks, fucking reading books. I don't give a shit. I love it. I think part of the best part of having a kid is being able to be a kid again with your kid, right? I mean, it would be for me, so I don't know. When parents try to tell me that, you know, it's such a handful having kids and it's such a hard job, I'm just like, bullshit, dude. You know, having a kid should be one of the greatest experiences of your life. It shouldn't be difficult. I'm not trying to underplay the importance of being a good parent, but don't tell me that it's the toughest job in the world. And I still, like I said, I just saw another lady on TV say it, that her job was the toughest. All right, so anyways, I hope everyone is having a fucking great day. Uh, let's see, what can we talk about? There's a lot of shit that's happened in popular culture and in the news since we last spoke. Uh, let's see, most importantly, I guess we can get right into it. The 2017 Houston Astros were just caught by Major League Baseball, New England Patrioting. That's right, they weren't caught cheating, they were called New England, <laughs> they were caught New England Patrioting. Uh, So yeah, uh, the 2017 World Series Astros were caught red-handed by Major League Baseball cheating. They were stealing signs. Uh, What does stealing signs mean? Well, I I guess if you don't know baseball well enough, I can't really explain stealing signs for you. You do understand that there is a pitcher, and the pitcher throws a series of pitches to a catcher. And uh, Major League Baseball pitchers can throw a whole variety of different pitches. Pitches that are uh, fast and slow and appear to come out of their hand fast, but they're slow. It's called an off-speed pitch, blah, blah, blah. But, however, if you're able to steal the signs and you at least know whether it's going to be a fastball or an off-speed pitch, and then you can relay whether it's going to be a fastball or off-speed pitch to your batter, chances are he's going to probably be able to hit it, and that's what the Astros were doing. The Astros players uh, somehow devised a system where they would be able to know what the pitcher was going to throw for a pitch, and then they would make a whistling or a banging noise from the dugout, and based on which noise the batter heard, the batter would know what pitch was coming. Pretty ingenious, right? So uh, Major League Baseball went and fined uh, the Houston Astros $5 million dollars, took away their first-round draft picks and their second-round draft picks, and then Major League Baseball banned A.J. Hinch, their manager, and Jeff Lunau, their general manager, from baseball for a year. Uh, Hour later, a few days ago, uh, the Astros' ownership fired those two people. And uh, the story does not end there, okay? Uh, Other coaches that were part of that 2017 Astros team, like Alex Cora, who became the Red Sox manager last year, he evidently was pretty much the ringleader of developing that cheating scandal. And he's been the coach of the Red Sox since last year. So yesterday, the Red Sox fired Alex Cora. 
And the plot gets even thicker from there. Uh, about an hour ago, uh, news came out that Carlos Beltran, he's a, a fantastic ex-baseball player like Cora. Uh, he was the head coach of the New York Mets. He was a coach for the Astros in 2017 that evidently had a hand in this uh, cheating scandal. And the Mets just fired him as their manager. And uh, the plot keeps going because the 2018 World Series champion Red Sox are also being investigated separately for their own stealing uh, sign scandal from 2018 when they won the World Series. And Alex Cora was again the coach from that team. So just because Alex Cora has been fired by the Red Sox, his punishment for Major League Baseball for his role for the Red Sox cheating in 2018 and then his cheating with the Astros in 2017, they haven't even uh, handed down his punishment yet. So not only is Alex Cora now without a job uh, when he was a great manager for the Red Sox, um, but uh, like I said, his, his punishment from baseball hasn't even happened. And the Red Sox, uh, they haven't had their punishment come down for Major League Baseball yet for their cheating ways uh, taken right out of Bill Belichick's playbook, right? That's popular, right? I'm telling you, dude, I was born and raised just outside of Boston. Huge Boston sports fan. So all the years that I've had to try to defend the Patriots from all the haters, uh, when Deflategate came out and Spygate and all these other cheating scandals, and uh, you know, and I and I've had to defend the Patriots and stuff like that, but now you got other Boston teams that are taking a page out of that shit. So yeah, that's what a lot of people are using now. Instead of saying that uh, the 2017 Astros cheated. Uh, it's a lot funnier to say that the 2017 Astros New England Patriots, <laughs> but I don't know, man. That's it's it's so bad for baseball. But at the same time, if you don't think that there are other teams in baseball in 2017 and in and in 2018 and in the years before that don't also steal signs, they do. They have stealing signs or trying to gain some kind of advantage by figuring out the pitcher and what he's going to throw, it's part of baseball, okay? Um, but stealing the signs to the level that the Astros went to by filming it and having this elaborate uh, noise thing and using TV cameras and that kind of shit, nobody's quite taken it to that level and at least been caught. And evidently, uh, the Red Sox are being investigated for literally the same thing, stealing signs. But evidently, they were using um, an iPhone watch, an iWatch. Is that what they call them? Apple Watch? So I don't know. But uh, yeah, if Alex Cora obviously was the ringleader and could have even developed this cheating system for the Astros when he was with them in 2017, uh, do, do you think he might have carried over that same method into the Red Sox camp in 2018? I think they did, and it sucks. The Red Sox were horrible last year, and I was seriously looking forward to uh, them maybe turning around their season this year and uh, losing their manager and, uh, you know, about to get thrown under the bus for cheating in 2018. It's not looking good. So, uh, yeah, I guess I got to rely on the Bruins and the Celtics, who are both doing uh, fantastically, right? But uh, poor Patriots. Tom Brady's probably done. The dynasty's done. Brady might retire or go play for another team. It was fun while it lasted. Now the Patriots or uh, the Red Sox are cheaters. I don't know. 
I don't know. But what I do know, and like I just said a minute ago, if you don't think that that there are other teams out there that are cheating, like I said, maybe not quite to the level of the Red Sox and the Astros, but teams out there are always looking for advantages to, to win. Let's not forget, it might be a professional sport, but it's also a business. And if you're winning... People buy more tickets. You buy more tickets, and uh, the ownership makes more money, right? Well, that's what it's all about. But then you got the fucking okay. So this this is something that uh, shouldn't happen, but it does, and it's 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 screwy. But that's what you get with Boston and New York fans, right? So you know, I was laughing this fall when the Red Sox. Uh, even though they weren't in the playoffs, and I'm a Red Sox fan, I was. I was pretty entertained when the Yankees lost back in the postseason to the Astros because the next best thing to the Red Sox uh, winning is watching the Yankees lose, right? But it's the same thing for fucking New York fans. So evidently New York fans, they're all very happy and uh, some of them are pissed that the uh, Red Sox won in 2018 by cheating. And the first thing that pops into my head when fucking Yankees fans want to get pissed or want to get, uh, you know, make fun of the Red Sox for cheating in 2018, if you really want to put an asterisk next to the Red Sox 2018 World Series win, well, this is what I have for you, Yankees fans. If the Red Sox have an asterisk next to their World Series win in 2018, I'm going to put an asterisk next to the 1999 uh, Yankees World Series title, the 2000 Yankees World Series title, and what the 2008 or 2009 Yankees World Series title, because those teams were loaded with people doctoring the fucking baseball, using pine tar, uh, fucking cork bats, fucking every player on that team was roided up. So if you want to talk about fucking cheating, okay, 99, 2000, and either 2008 or 2009 Yankees were just full of fucking cheaters. So that's just it, people. You know, it's like the Red Sox and uh, the Astros are just the flavor of the month. They were the latest teams to get caught doing something they weren't supposed to. But if you think those two are the only teams that are doing shit that they weren't supposed to, I'll stop you right there. I've said it before, not on this podcast, but if you take anybody, any person, any business, any team, anybody, even if they seem perfect and you hold them under a microscope and you investigate them, you're going to find dirt. And that's all my point is. Okay, if Major League Baseball wants to investigate uh, whoever won the World Series in 2016, I can't remember off the top of my head. Chances are, if they hold them under a microscope, eh, they might be able to find some fucking shit too. That's what I'm saying. I'm not trying to say the Red Sox are innocent. I'm not trying to say Cora is an ass, isn't an ass. Uh, But if you think that the Yankees didn't cheat in the years that they won the World Series, they did. Okay, so stick that in your fucking pipe and smoke it. Let's move on. I want to give some congratulations to the Louisiana State University Tigers who beat the Clemson Tigers Monday night to take their first national college football championship since, uh, fuck, what was it? They won last in 97 or 03 or something like that. But what a game. What a game. Uh, But uh, more so than how good of a game it was, the three things I want to talk about have nothing to do with the game. Um, so yeah, congratulations to the LSU Tigers. 
uh, Joe Burrow. How fucking good of a quarterback is he? Christ. Um, but, okay, so the three things that really stood out from the LSU-Clemson game Monday night, right? First thing, Donald Trump. If you watch the game, you probably saw Trump. Trump did his little presidential walk out onto the field and stood there for the national anthem. And I fully expected, when I learned that the president was going to be at that game, I fully expected that that crowd of, what, 65,000 people to just rain down booze, right? But if you watch the game, you probably saw this too. That crowd went pretty apeshit for him. I talked to a couple people that were at that game, and they mentioned the same thing too. There were there were there were little small small pockets of you know some boo birds, but for the most part, all sixty plus thousand people went pretty nuts for Trump. And uh, that's a really interesting thing for me. As I was sitting pretty much where I am right now, watching that, I'm like, holy shit! Because if you watch the nightly news. And if you talk to people, especially around here in a very democratic state, um, everybody hates Trump. It's like Trump is definitely made out to be, through the news and through talking to people, especially around here, as one of the most hated people in the history of the world. I mean, people talk more shit about Trump than they do like Adolf fucking Hitler. And look what Hitler did and started. But yet you see Trump on national TV walk out in front of 60,000 people to cheers. And I'm like, holy fuck. So that's just it. You know, the news wants to run the narratives that Trump is the most hated person in America, but yet he walks out in front of 60,000 people and gets cheered. So I don't know. I think that was a little bit appalling how much people cheered the man, considering what a narcissist, racist fuck he is. But uh, I digress. Like Mark P. said last week on the podcast, uh, as much as we don't like the guy, he is the captain of the ship, and there's nothing I can do about him being the captain of the ship, and I definitely don't want to see the ship sink. So I tolerate the man, but I don't agree with him being in office, and I certainly hope that uh, we can all put our votes together and get him the fuck out. Um, not to make America great again, but just to make America kind of chill out again, especially in the Democratic uh, state that I live in. Um, so that's the first thing. I was shocked that Trump didn't get booed, but then I remembered that they were in the Deep South, and uh, Trump has a lot more supporters in the, in the Deep South than he does in the more progressive areas of the North, I guess, I, t to say it lightly. So I guess uh, that didn't surprise me. Once I realized that they were in the South, that kind of made more sense to me. But moving on, Odell Beckham Jr. Even if you don't follow football, you probably know who OD, yeah, o, OBJ is. Odell Beckham Jr., uh, fantastic wide receiver. Used to play for the Giants. Uh, this past year, he played for the Browns. Uh, he was an LSU Tiger. So he was at the LSU Clemson game, of course, Monday night. And you might have even heard about this. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. is in some trouble. Uh, Odell, evidently, after uh, LSU won Monday night, he went around and was handing out $100 bills to all the LSU players. And even though that's a nice gesture, who wouldn't want to get handed a $100 bill after winning a national championship? But uh, college, college players... Uh, there are rules to the NCAA in college football, and they can't take money from people. So... Um, and I think OBJ knows that all too well. 
So that's a narrative, you know? Uh, so yeah, um, I think initially the players kind of knew it was wrong to take money from OBJ. Uh, the narrative that was first going on was that the money was like counterfeit. It was like fake money. But then Joe Burrows, uh, the quarterback for LSU, was on somebody's podcast evidently yesterday or uh, Tuesday, and he admitted that the money was absolutely real. So OBJ is now in trouble, and the LSU players might even be in trouble because they accepted $100 bills from Odell Beckham. And the silliness doesn't stop there. Uh, there is a video, which might get taken down, but it's currently on ESPN and YouTube. Uh, the same night, Odell Beckham smacked a cop or a security guard for the Superdome on the ass. <laughs> the cop uh, in the video was talking to an LSU player um in the video, and then all of a sudden, OBJ comes up behind the cop or the security guard or whatever he was and literally smacks him on the ass. And the cop quickly turned around and was like, what the fuck was that about? So, <clears throat> a warrant has now been issued in Louisiana for the arrest of Odell Beckham Jr. for battery. So, o OBJ has now gotten the entire LSU football team in trouble, gotten himself in trouble for handing out cash after the game, and then o Odell Beckham thought it would be a great idea to go and slap a cop or a security guard on the ass, and it got caught on camera, and now the dude has a fucking warrant for his arrest for battery for slapping a cop on the ass. Holy shit. So, yeah, shit just keeps getting weirder, people. They just keep getting weirder. Um, to keep on the same... What What is it with fucking football players, dude? All right. Uh, Antonio Brown, he's another ex-NFL football player I've talked about before on the podcast because the guy has literally lost his mind. To give you a quick recap, Antonio Brown is one of the best NFL wide receivers in the history of football. But the dude lost his mind this past season. He had a $30 million contract to play for the Raiders. And uh, he wouldn't show up to camp. And he would do all sorts of crazy things and say crazy things. And then the Raiders finally got sick of it and said, dude, you're fucking out of here. So the guy lost $30 million. And uh, then he goes and signs with the New England Patriots. Uh, Patriots give him another whole boatload of cash. I think the combined money he lost, and I might be getting this wrong, uh, he might have been paid more than $30 million by the Raiders. But anyways, between the Patriots and the Raiders this year, he lost $60 million, okay? So the number, really the only reason why the guy isn't playing or didn't play this year in the NFL, why he lost his job with the Raiders and why he lost his job with the Patriots is because he's, current, he's currently under investigation by the NFL the NFL Players Association, and police for supposedly raping two women, okay? So not only is he been, has he been accused and he's being investigated by the NFL and the police for raping two women, he's also been doing and saying some really crazy things on social media the last like seven, eight straight months to the point where a lot of us think he's literally brain damaged, literally, not joking around, dude. He says and does the craziest shit on Twitter. And um, one of the narratives that Antonio keeps pushing on social media is that the whole NFL or the whole country or the whole world is out to get him. 
Okay? That's the narrative he's choosing. He's another example of a person, uh, could be anybody, uh, that just cannot turn that mirror back on themselves. They cannot accept responsibility for their own actions. He cannot put two and two together, and evidently there's nobody in his entourage that can let him know this, that the reason he's not an NFL player right now is because he's been accused of raping two women. That is why, Antonio, you're not playing in the NFL. And if you were to take away the rape allegations and just go through all the other crazy shit he's done and said, um, he's literally unemployable. No company, even though he's so good as a player, wants to take on all the drama that comes along with employing Antonio Brown. And literally almost every single day since August, he goes on to Twitter or on to Facebook and on to Instagram and he stirs the pot and he just has been digging himself a deeper and deeper and deeper hole. And it happened again. A couple days ago, he live streamed him getting into a verbal altercation with police officers outside of his California house he was at. And... He posted the video to social media to again push the narrative that, oh, look at me. People are being racist towards me. Everyone's out to get me. Everybody feels sorry for me. But literally, the whole world that looks at his posts, besides for him, can see right through it. So he's a first ballot Hall of Famer that lost $60 million, all because he went and tried to wape two women. And even if he's found guilty of not raping those women, the craziness in the shit he talks on Twitter is making him unemployable. So here you got a guy that's one of the best football players in history, you know, millions upon millions upon millions of dollars in money and contracts and endorsements lost all because the dude does not know how to accept responsibility for his own actions. And it's sad and and it and, and again, it's it's gotten worse. He just live streamed himself two days ago, yelling at police officers, yelling at a white lady about who knows what the fuck. But the whole narrative that was pushed in this video is: look at these cops, they're racist, they're trying to get me. The whole world's holding me down because I'm black, and and I'm just like, yo, I am so sensitive to black issues more than I ever have been in my life. But yet. There's always exceptions to the rule. There are some people, and you know this, that play that fucking card to a T. It doesn't matter if you're black. You could be white. You could be a lady. You could be a man. It doesn't matter. There's a lot of people out there that anything and everything that doesn't go their way, it's because the world's out to get them, because there's some master conspiracy against them, where they, when the problem all along is you, Right? You've, you, you probably know somebody or, or I've heard of people like this. They won't, you know, they'll go out for a job. They won't get the job and they'll say, I didn't get the job because that employer is racist or that that employer is um, homophobic or that employer doesn't like men or that employer doesn't like women. It couldn't be just that they just weren't the most qualified person for the job. There has to be collusion in everything. You know, that's playing the race card, playing the uh, LGBT card, playing the man card, the woman card, whatever card, you know. <clears throat> so before you go and blame anybody for anything going on in your own life, first turn 
that microscope back on yourself and ask yourself, is there anything that I did or that I'm doing that put me into the situation? And if Antonio could do that just once, or if he had somebody in his entourage that could say that to him just once, I think Antonio could have probably saved his career. But it's at the point now where he's just so off the rails and he's created so much drama that I don't think even if the NFL says, okay, Antonio, you can go back to the NFL. Uh, I don't I don't know if there's going to be too many teams, if anybody that wants to hire him. He just comes with way too much baggage, too much baggage that's going to end up pulling the whole team down, you know? Um, positivity creates positivity. Laughter creates other laughter. It's the same thing on the other side. If you bring a toxic person into your locker room that's negative, likes to really harp on drama, it's going to pull everybody in that locker room down. So as a business owner or as a coach or a general manager, as much as I would like to have Antonio Brown on my team because of his skill set, he's got way too much drama attached to his name way too much drama following him around and he's creating most of it unable to accept responsibility for his own actions so it's sad dude it's really sad to see somebody go from being the most dominant one of the most dominant nfl wide receivers on the planet to a year later the guy's just about unemployable even if he's found not guilty for rape just too much drama attached to his name and it literally happens almost every day the guy's coming out with some new thing on social media that's just digging himself a deeper hole and people are just shaking their head going fuck dude i thought this guy was crazy three months ago now look what he's doing it's sad actually it's actually fucking sad so did anybody watch the debates the democratic debate was the other night and i got a kick out of it you know what i thought honest to god's truth and uh, when i was watching that debate the first thing I thought of in my mind is it reminded me of being in a nursing home and watching old people fight over what they're going to watch on TV, whether they're going to watch Murder, She Wrote or The Price is Right. (laughs) Seriously, did you watch that debate? It was just like watching old people in a nursing home fight about the most ridiculous shit. I don't know why we have debates like this, people. You don't you nobody can tell me with a straight face that after watching the democratic debate that they could come out of it and said yep i know this candidate better now than i did going in you can't it's just a bunch of people arguing over each other and getting 30 seconds to try to explain to us how they're going to change the world for the better it's it's a bad format it doesn't work it never has and uh it doesn't make anybody more informed about the candidacy it wasn't So when I compare it to just walking into my local nursing home and just watching the old people in a room fight over whether they're going to watch Matlock or Murder, She Wrote, it's literally the same thing. And uh, I saw something else, dude, that was pretty, it was pretty funny, but pretty sad at the same time. Um, I'm a big Bernie Sanders supporter. I love Bernie. And uh, a couple of the things I always have to defend Bernie on is his age, right? He's too old too much of a workaholic he's gonna you know die of a heart attack in office if he gets there but uh, there's a video online of bernie sanders backing his little red chevy out of his driveway and it's funny as hell but it's also sad right the dude's driveway is like 50 feet long and it's 
completely straight. And in the video, Bernie gets halfway down the driveway, and then about the halfway mark, his entire car goes over and into his front yard. He goes over the fucking curb and nearly takes out a pedestrian and his mailbox. <laughs> so if Bernie Sanders can't even back his car out of his driveway without going into his lawn and over the curb... Is he going to be able to run the free world, people? I don't know. I don't know. So think about that. I was I was really for Bernie, but yes, he's, he is getting up there in age, and I don't know. It's either we have a narcissistic racist president, or we have a president that can't back a car out of his driveway without going into the uh, curb, over the curb, and in the, in the, in, <laughs> into the fucking front yard. Jesus. <sighs> Good shit. I told you that story before, didn't I, on the podcast? I used to work with a guy. Back in 1999, I was working for the now-defunct computer company, Compaq. Remember Compaq computers? C-O-M-P-A-Q? Uh, Compaq, was a, Compaq was bought by IBM or Dell or Gateway. I don't know. But back then, Compaq was still a computer company, and they had an office in Rocky Hill, Connecticut, and that's the office I worked out of. But I didn't work at the Rocky Hill office. That's just where my office was. We were contracted to um, do all the computer repair and all that kind of st- and server repair at a big insurance company in Springfield, Massachusetts. So while I was working there, um, I was working with a uh, an older gentleman. He must have been 68, 69, 70. I know he was like very close to retiring. And, and, and this guy was quirky. He was a quirky, quirky, quirky guy. Had a lot of quirks. And me and my buddy George, we would, you know, we would in good fun kind of make fun of this guy every day. But it, not to his face, but we'd just laugh at the quirky things he would do. And one of the quirky things he would do is um, he would have a cup of coffee the second he walked into work every morning. He would have a cup of coffee with his lunch. And every single time the guy would take a sip of coffee, this is exactly what he would do. And this is why me and George would chuckle. This is how he'd do it. (sighs) Good shit. (laughs) So he would slurp it like that and go, ah, good shit. Every fucking time. The other quirky thing he did, his wife would pack his lunch for him every day. Like he was like a like a fucking tenth, like a you know like a fucking ten year old with a little lunchbox. And every day he would have raw baby carrots. He loved them. It, this is no fucking lie, people. I'm not shitting you. So in addition to this guy slurping his coffee and going ah good shit, he would have carrots every day with his sandwich. And they were raw carrots. And he couldn't just put it in his mouth and chew it. He had to eat the carrot like Bugs Bunny. So the guy would go down the carrot like, you know, like Bugs Bunny would do. He'd just like chopping the thing. Like, <laughs> oh, shit. And then no lie, another quirky thing this guy did. He was such a company man or like a, or like a, I don't know what they call these people, um, a company guy or like, a, you know, uh, companies that have, uh, uh, what do they call them? Unions, like a union guy, a guy that like won't work a second past overtime because he was paid salary. He wasn't paid by the hour. 
So if you're getting paid salary, right, you don't want to work 40.1 minute, right? You, you you just want to put in your 40 hours and go home, even though most people making salary are expected to do 50, 60 plus hours a week, right? But not this guy. He's like, what? What are they going to do? Fucking fire me? You know, so it, it did not matter. You know, George and I would go home when the job was done. Yes, our shift ended at five, but sometimes, you know, this big insurance company we were working at, they'd have a server go down at like 4.59 and the whole company would go down and we'd have to stay to fix it, right? Shit sometimes happens two minutes before you're supposed to punch out. This dude, no fucking way. No way. It did not matter. It did not matter if uh, the building was on fucking fire and they asked him to stay behind and like hold the hose. When that clock hit 4.59, 4.59, he already had his coat on. He had his coat on, his lunchbox in his hand, and his keys. And he was standing by the door waiting for that. In th- the second, the second it would hit 5 o'clock, gone, bolted. And like I said, a handful of times he was asked by our manager, Sheila, to stay just a little bit late because, you know, something came up. And the guy's like, nope, sorry, fuck you, I'm out of here, just gone. And I guess you got to kind of respect that. The guy was just so set in his ways and so quirky, he wouldn't give a shit. So every day I got the good shit. Hey, could you stay a little bit late today? Fuck you, I'm out of here. That's how the guy was, man. Quirky, quirky as fuck. All right, let's move on. What else do I got to talk about? Bernie can't back out of his driveway. Yep. Um, Dude, okay. I got a question for anybody out there. You've probably seen these TV shows. I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if anybody watches these TV shows, and then maybe somebody can tell me what the, what the appeal is. So I'm going to tell you about a couple of these shows. And I've been thinking about this for a couple of years now. Uh, the two shows that really jump out at me are a show called Siesta Key and a show called Southern Charm. And literally, both of these shows... All they are is some ultra, ultra good-looking, rich, overly privileged white people who go on a vacation or they're just hanging out in their billionaire backyard, getting drunk, screwing each other, and then arguing about who has a bigger cum stain on their fucking dress the next day. I ain't shitting you. This is what these shows are about. So I want to know who tunes in to Southern Charm or Siesta Key. Do you? And if you do, please write me at info at realitydrip.com and tell me why. I'm just curious. Who? Who, 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 who? Oh, who, who? Who wants to sit there and watch a bunch of super overly privileged silver spoon up their ass white people go to some exotic island that you can only fucking dream of to screw each other and then they're going to fight about, you know, how much vodka is in whose fucking mimosa the next day. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's their biggest issue is like, you know, how fast they're getting served fucking mimosas. Oh my God, like I didn't get my mimosa this morning in a quick way and I'm, it just set my whole day off to be fucking horrible. Seriously, that's what, these people are so rich. They're so good looking. They're white. They've never had a fucking bad day in their life and they're just on this show just screwing each other. 
while you sit home and watch, while you sit home and try to figure out how you're going to pay rent this month, you got some, you got, you know, you got two girls arguing who got a bigger cum stain on their fucking dress from the previous night and who's going to fuck Timmy tomorrow. You know, it's like, holy fuck. So, yeah, I don't know about you, but for the same reason, I don't want to sit there each night and watch the nightly news and just watch the horribleness that goes on around the world. I don't want to watch this. I don't want to watch a bunch of overprivileged, beautiful people screw each other and fuck on some exotic island that I couldn't even begin to be able to afford, never mind go to, you know? It, who, who, who wants to watch that? And on that same token, now that I'm thinking about it, um, God, they don't have this show on anymore, but if you've never seen it and you want to see some of the most spoiled, rotten kids you've ever seen... Um, I can't remember what year this 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 show was out. I think it was called either Sweet Sixteen or My Sweet Sixteen or My Super Sweet Sixteen, but it was on MTV and it was a reality show. And they would do a reality show of some super wealthy family preparing for literally a million dollar party for their sixteen year old's birthday. Sometimes it was uh, rich. Uh, you know, uh, women uh, who were turning 16, sometimes it was men. I believe they were mostly white. But literally, these kids are 16 years old. They have parents that are multi-millionaires or billionaires. They're getting thrown a party that only P. Diddy could dream of at 16 years old. In the whole show, like, you really get to see how spoiled these kids are. They're getting thrown a million-dollar party. For their 16th birthday by their incredibly rich parents. These kids have never had to ever want in their life for anything. They've been born with a silver spoon up their ass and they never have to work a day in their life. But the entire time you're watching this shit, you're seeing this 16 year old bitch and whine and complain the whole way that her party, her million dollar fucking P. Diddy party isn't going the way she planned and then it gets worse people it gets worse because at the end of every one of these super sweet 16s no matter if it was a guy or a girl or whatever they would be given a car and most of the time these cars were fucking high-end lamborghinis ferraris uh you know Range Rover SVRs, autobiography editions, $150,000 cars, $300,000 cars. And the majority of the time when they got given this gift of a $150,000 car, they would cry that it was not the right color they wanted. So I used to watch it. I used to watch it and it used to fire me up. I would just be sitting there shaking my head like, you got to be kidding me. You're, you are being given a $150,000 car on your 16th birthday, and you have the fucking tenacity to then cry to your daddy that it's the wrong color. It's the wrong color, Lamborghini. I wanted green, and you got me yellow. <laughs> And they're like, oh, we'll fix this, sweetheart. We'll go trade in the yellow Lamborghini, and we'll get you your red one. <laughs> So yeah, when you want to talk about problems, you know, you got certain people that are trying to figure out uh, where they're going to sleep tonight, where you got other people that are trying to figure out what color Lamborghini they're going to buy, you know?
put your problems in perspective, will you? Uh, what else? What else? What else? What else? Okay. This is something I picked up on last night. I was watching a... Uh, no, I wasn't watching anything. Well, I, I was, okay? Uh, you've probably heard of Quora, right? Q-U-O-R-A. It's like a question-answering community. And uh, if you're involved in that community like I am, you can say, uh, yeah, if anybody has any questions on this, that, the other thing, um, you know, I might be able to answer them because I know about them. So um, something I'm into is uh, aviation. I'm a big aviation enthusiast. Um, if I wasn't trying to pursue a career in production and stand-up, I literally would be in flight school right now which probably would have been a better career than trying to be a stand-up comedian, right? Flight school. But my whole life, I wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to fly for either the airlines or fly uh, like a corporate jet. Um, and that's the direction I want to go. So even though I'm not in flight school and that kind of stuff, it doesn't mean I still don't love aviation. As God is my witness, um, one of the dreams I've had, even though it would be a nightmare scenario, um, if I was on a 737, which is the most proficient plane I can fly, um, if I was on board an actual 737 and like the pilots died or some shit and they said, can anybody fly this plane? I would be like, me, me, swear to God, if you put me into a cold, dark 737 right now, a real one or even a real simulator, I could start that thing, I could get fucking clearance, I could file my destination, I could taxi, I could take off, and nobody would know the fucking difference. That's how good I am at flying. And the 737 is my wheelhouse, okay? So I know a lot about aviation. So anyways, I was on the Quora section last night of the aviation stuff, and um, I was reading a bunch of articles about like uh, the F-35 uh, which is like America's latest um, stealth fighter jet, uh, the F-22, um, Europe's Eurofighter, um, China's latest jet, um, Russia's latest jet, um, Japan's latest jet. And in reading these articles and stuff, um, I began to understand something, and it made me question something, and this is why I'm talking about it. So... I'd like to think that here in the year 2020, that there's not a person or politician on the planet that understands that war is not good, right? Especially a nuclear war. Um, I think we've learned a lot from World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, the crisis in the Middle East, the, or the Middle Eastern wars that seem to be still going on. Nobody really wins in a war, do they? A lot of innocent fucking people, or even non-innocent people, die. And, you know, who are we to judge who gets to live or, or who gets to die? You know, and I don't mean to sound like a fucking raging hippie here, but it's just the truth of the matter. You know, so here we are in 2020. We have so many thousands of years of experience that we can look back on in terms of that just wars don't really work out for anybody. I get countries wanting to protect themselves by having, you know, a good fleet of jet aircraft in case they need to protect their country. But protect us from what? That's what I'm asking you. Um, Trump, or not Trump, whatever, the U.S. fucking government and other governments are, are sinking trillions of dollars, trillions every year into, into developing um, 
not just advanced weaponry, but advanced fighter jets. And I learned last night that um, France and Germany are co-developing a new type of um, a new type of uh, I don't even know what to call it. They're they are developing a new type of fighter jet that doesn't just fly by itself. It's a fighter jet that then has like a hundred miniature drones that fly with it. Drones that are maybe like six inches long or some shit. Like thousands of them. So in the future, like future warfare is not just going to be fighter jets. There's going to be like bee swarms of little miniature um, like drones that are all connected to like one massive brain and they're going to swarm. It's like, it's, it's fucking crazy, dude. So just imagine a swarm of bees that are all being controlled by like one mind. This is what they're developing right now for war are little drones that are like six inches wide or whatever, like little fucking like hummingbird sized drones that in the thousands will all work together. And think alike and like act like bees do and shit. And that's, and that's what has me thinking. Why are we, why is, why are so many countries like Germany and France, uh, smaller countries um, like that spending trillions upon trillions of dollars, um, not just on weaponry, but advanced aircraft like that, where these swarms of like these bee sized uh, drones that are going to be cloud based and shit. It's like, what? Why? What are we doing? That's my question. I can understand wanting to keep your country safe. And in order to keep your country safe, you need to have a fleet of missiles, right? And some troops and, a, and some planes, right? But who's going to attack you? In 2020, with what we know about war and what we've learned about previous wars and stuff, who's going to attack France to where they would need trillions of dollars? Who's even going to attack the United States? Who? You know, so the only thing I could compare it to, and I, and I, and I kind of hope where you get where I'm going with this, because sometimes I have trouble explaining it, but the only thing I can do to put it in perspective is like a metaphor, okay? Um, let's say you have a family of four. In that family of four, the father of that family has a gun in the house. And why does he have a gun in the house? Well, he has a gun in the house in the unlikely event that somebody attacks his family or his home, an intruder, right? He has that gun as protection to protect his home, his house, and his family in the unlikely event that somebody tries to break in and kill him or his family, right? That makes sense. That's how I look at uh, any country, whether you're protecting your home from any intruders, you have a gun, that makes sense, okay? Uh, it should be the same for America or Japan or anybody, right? You have something to protect your home. But what France is doing, and just not France, every government, even the U.S. government, they're going so nuts to put it in that same perspective. It's like instead of a family just having a gun or the father of a family having a gun to protect his home and his family, it's like that family is now amassing tanks, and uh, missiles and all sorts of shit just for home protection. And that to me raises a red flag. You know, I can totally see having a gun to protect your family, to protect your house in case shit goes real bad. That makes sense.
and I can, and you can tie that same logic into why governments um, need to protect, uh, you know, their people and their land in case of war. But that's my point. You have some of these countries that are spending just trillions upon trillions of dollars uh, looking out into the future um, for crazy advanced warfare. And that's what makes me shrug my shoulders. Who who are we protecting ourselves from? Each other? Are, is there really going to be another war for the rest of humanity like we had in World War II or World War I? Don't we know better as a society? I think we do. I mean, I think there's little factions, you know, thousand troops here of this revolutionary uh, movement in this country, a thousand troops here for this revolutionary group of radical thinking people that start little shit here and there. But but I'm talking like for an all-out another world war, like one country versus another, hundreds of thousands of troops and shit. I don't see that kind of war ever happening. So... In that case, why can't we just keep like a status quo, like a family having a gun and just keeping it clean and keeping it updated so in case they need to use it, they can protect themselves. But you got governments that are going crazy, 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 developing these super advanced weaponry and drones for the future. And that's the question I ask myself. What are we spending these trillions of dollars to protect ourselves from another war or is there something the government knows about <clears throat> uh, that we don't and uh, that's the only fucking uh, you know thing that's got me scratching my head is uh, I'm just amazed at how many trillions of dollars gets thrown into some crazy advanced technology uh, just to protect ourselves and that's what I ask protecting ourselves from who from what do we really have to go to that level where we need to develop these uh, swarms of thousands of miniature drones that are going to act like bee swarms? For what? For who? Who's trying to attack Germany or fucking France or even the America for that sense? Don't we know better? Nobody wins in a war, bro, especially if it's nuclear. Another thing I didn't know. I had no idea about this, but there is Germany. Germany is holding 10 nuclear the gigantic nuclear missiles for the United States. So, um, and it's part of the nuclear sharing agreement. So there is an Air Force base that is German, not United States owned, but it's a German military base that is housing 10 ICBMs. So, and the reason they did this through, through the UN a number of years ago, I think Italy is too. I think Italy, Germany, and France are actually holding on to a number of U.S. ICBMs. So if somehow the 10 billion missile silos that the U.S. has you know, scattered throughout the country that can fire a nuclear missile at another country, if all of those get taken out, supposedly Germany is supposed to then drop uh, those nuclear weapons of ours that they have for us, you know? It's like, hey, if I run out of milk, can you keep a bottle at your house and then use it? <laughs> it's like, fuck. So, yeah, um, I don't understand. Um, like I said, nobody wins in a war. And if it's a nuclear war, you know, you're going to wipe out both sides with nobody left. 
Nobody wins in a nuclear war. Nobody. Nobody wins in a war to begin with. But in a nuclear war, there's not going to be anybody left. The, the fucking missiles will cross each other in the air. They get evaporated. We get evaporated. And the only people that get to live are the guys that said, yeah, fire that missile. Because they're not going to fucking get blown up or incinerated or evaporated. Just like the same politicians that start these fucking wars. It ain't their kids, right, that are going over to fight and die in these fucking wars. Just like the same fucking people that decide to fire a nuke one day. It's not going to be them that are going to be getting fucking lit up by it. They're going to be 10 miles underground in the fucking bunker having a fucking eyes wide shut fuck party. Laying in a giant vat of fucking Illuminati fucking lotion, right? Oh, Christ. All right. Um... I think that's about all I have, except for one last thing I want to talk about. Toilet paper. Yes, toilet paper. And you might say, well, John, what is this magic theory on toilet paper, and what does it entail? Well, let me tell you. All right, you've probably seen, uh, or maybe you haven't. Not all people watch TV like I do. I don't watch a lot of TV, but it's definitely on the whole time I'm home. But, uh, okay, uh, Charmin. You've probably heard of Charmin. You know, don't squeeze the Charmin. It's a brand of toilet paper. And uh, their latest marketing technique uh, for the last couple of years is they've been using these, like, animated bears, like the Bernstein fucking bears. Remember the Bernstein bears from the 80s? I used to love those fucking books. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a mama bear and a papa bear and a baby bear. And these are the animated bears that advertise and market the Charmin toilet paper. So in their most recent commercial, um, we pan into a baby bear just finished taking a shit. And his underwear are on the floor of the bathroom. And Mama and Papa Bear come into the bathroom. And Mama and Papa Bear start arguing over which one of them are going to pick up Baby Bear's underwears that are on the floor. Because they're like, I'm not picking that shit up because of the fucking skid marks in it. And the other one's like, I ain't picking that up for the same fucking reason. And the Baby Bear's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm using this new Charmin toilet paper, so you guys don't have to worry about there being any skid marks in my underwear. And then the parents are so relieved, like, oh, okay, if that's the case, I'll pick up your underwear if there's no skid marks in it. So basically what Charmin is trying to say is they're trying to say that, you know, if you are frustrated with the amount of skid marks that you're leaving in your tidy whities Come buy our toilet paper, and then you won't have the skid marks to deal with. And I'm just sitting there, kind of like a dog. You know how dogs, like, tilt their head, like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm tilting my head like a fucking dog, like, what did you just say? You're trying to say that uh, this toilet paper isn't going to leave skid marks on my underwear anymore? <laughs> you know? I was always under the impression that how dirty your underwear got from skid marks didn't have to do with what you were using to wipe with, but how well you were wiping. See, I've never had skid marks in my tidy whities even though I don't wear tidy whities But when I was a kid, I did. The kind of toilet paper I'm using, I'm wiping until there is no more poop on my butt. That way, when I put on my underwear, there's no skid marks. <laughs> <laughs> Am I wrong? 
Since when do we have to market toilet people, uh, toilet paper to people and say, hey, this new improved design isn't going to leave stains on your asshole? And I'm like, no, dude, it doesn't matter what you're wiping with, even if you're using your fucking hand, because if you wipe well enough, you aren't going to leave stains. So that's just it, man. Don't think for a second that you're going to go out and buy this new Charmin. Get your hiney clean. Get it Charmin clean. Get your hiney clean. Get it Charmin clean. Yeah, going out and getting that new brand of Charmin, folks, isn't going to make your fucking skid marks on your tidy whities or your whatever you wear, sir or ma'am, any smaller. You just have to wipe better. And if you wipe better, it doesn't matter if you're even using that one-ply fucking five-grit sandpaper, right? It don't matter. If you wipe and you wipe well, you won't have skid marks. It has nothing to do with the ribs or the fucking design on the fucking paper, people. It's how well you do it. And that's my point. So I'm wondering... Are there any people out there that really see a fucking commercial like that and go, Oh, honey, mark down on our shopping list to pick up this new Charmin because I am just getting so intolerant of the length of your fucking skid marks on your tidy whities I don't know. I don't know. But I guess, hey, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong, you know? Maybe I'm wrong. It's been known to happen a time or two before. All right, so uh, I probably should have done this at the start of the podcast, but I did not, and I'm not going fucking back to redo it, but I do have a show, and uh, by the time you hear this, the show might be over, but I have a show tomorrow night at the Thrill Mill in East Hampton, uh, 180 Pleasant Street, is it? I don't know. I haven't been to that venue yet, but I will check it out tomorrow night. Then uh, the following weekend, not this coming weekend, but next weekend, I will be in New York City for two shows. Uh, The venues are almost ready to be announced yet. I should know by the next podcast. And then, uh, yeah, that Monday night, the 26th, 7th, 8th, one of those fucking nights, whatever the Monday night is, I'm going to be in New York City for the Patrice O'Neill benefit. But you probably already know that because I talk about it every show and you probably don't give a shit. But uh, yeah, so that is the show for today. I hope you had a great time tuning in. I hope it was fucking entertaining for you. And uh, have a great weekend. And remember to go fuck yourself. Thank you so much. I'm Johnny Urez. Love you. I'm sorry to inform you. You're going to be without his services for the rest of the day. B-O-O-H-O-O. All right, that's it, everyone. Nothing to see here. Just some people who are really, really high. Oh, can't shoot anyone.